I think the first and foremost is to create a crystal clear strategy that is easy to understand and follow. I see too many teams that aren't, don't have clear strategy and also not a strategy that they can lead their teams with. So it's too complex and uh, maybe in the minds of the founders, it sounds logical, but this is something where you can easily, if you reflect on it, uh, create value. The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew, and there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit, yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to the dirt. In episode 24, you met my dear friend and four-time entrepreneur, Tobias, who spoke about driving a culture of success. Tobias has since introduced me to an incredible entrepreneur who joins me today. He too has been building companies for a long time, both in the US and in Germany, since well before his 20th birthday. Now, his passion for environmental impact and fixing our climate fuels both his life mission and his newest venture, Partners in Climb. Today, we take a deep dive into strategy, from go-to-market strategy to investment strategy to, you guessed it, climate change strategy. Yannick Frank, welcome to The Dirt. Thanks for having me, Jim. Absolutely. So... You know, let's just start with some of the some of the roots here. You know, tell us tell us how you got started in this wide world we call startup life. Yeah, actually, I think this is quite an interesting uh, story. So um, let's let's begin uh, with with myself at the age of sixteen, where I was um, on the typical German uh, career path. So started as a trainee at Daimler. So I'm actually located in Stuttgart, which is the automotive city where the automotive was invented. And every, anybody knows Daimler. So this is where I started. Uh, but um, quite fast, I've noticed that this is not the thing that is something for me because in Germany, typically, yeah, people search for security and a secure job. And this is what Daimler can provide, but I didn't feel it. Yes. So I, I felt really early on that uh, freedom and being an entrepreneur is more of a thing for me. After my apprenticeship at Daimler, I, I thought that, um, yeah, let's, let's go for to, to study and do something in the economic space because for me, this was the obvious and logic next step in terms of becoming an entrepreneur. Actually, at that time, startup somehow was a term I've heard before in Germany, but it was more about starting a business more the typical business thing yeah and luckily um before i started to study actually i had some three or four months uh, in in california i was in, in los angeles and uh, yeah my first business idea in los angeles was to import old muscle cars to germany and uh, I, I brought some money with me some cash and uh, I, I remember to search for some some muscle cars on, on craigslist <laughs> and found myself somewhere uh, at a car dealer in Inglewood and didn't feel quite comfortable with 18 years of age and uh, uh, let's say $10,000 of cash. <laughs> it was quite a strange situation. And I definitely then felt, okay, this is not the business I can do here. 
And then I found myself, a lot of people surrounding me were talking about startup, digital business and all that stuff. And then I somehow, yeah, get in touch with it and uh, met, met super young guys at the beginning of 20 years old telling me that they were raising venture capital. I didn't know at that time what this actually meant. Yeah. And that they are following their dreams and visions. And I was brainwashed, to be honest. Honest. Came back to Germany. And uh, yeah, first day of my studies, I decided to quit <laughs> because they were telling me what uh, what, what I've gonna, I'm going to learn the next three to five years. And I, I, I had a panic attack because I noticed, hey, hey, no, this is not the thing I want to do. So uh, I quit and then, yeah, tried to find a startup to to start with and uh this this is somehow the beginning of my german of my startup journey yeah changed changed by the u.s culture <laughs> good and bad <laughs> for me it does the best thing that could happen at that time actually yeah yeah no that's that's great man and you mentioned to me before that this term startup didn't at least at the time even really resonate with anyone in Germany like that term just wasn't a term in Germany is is that is that changed now where startups is more of a way of life there yeah of course I mean at that time which was about 2010 or 11 of course in Berlin you already had the uh, probably well-known Samba brothers uh, yeah. and uh, a startup culture uh, coming up but uh, here in Stuttgart that there was yeah there was a, like a startup event, um, which I think first took place in 2013. And at that uh, uh, startup barbecue, actually, I think there were five people or six people uh, in joining. So, and today Sponsored we have... by Mercedes. Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. And nowadays we have a crazy flourishing startup culture here. And um, yeah, but I, I still think that we are far away from being um, at that point where yeah, people at the universities really see being an entrepreneur and starting a startup is actually a valid option. So it's still too, too less people thinking about it yeah. from my point of view. Yeah, well, it, from your point of view and others, because I actually, you know, before this, talked to, talked to my friend Lance who lived in the area, not exactly in Stuttgart, but you know, spent a significant amount of time uh, in, in and around the area. And he mentioned that the startup culture and the startup way of life is something that is, is is happening over there, and that he met some of the best. He's a tech guy, right? He's he's mm. he's a he's your regular CTO, and and some of the best people that he met, some of the best founders that he met, some of the best human beings that he met were were in the region. So it's cool that some of those some of those opinions of yourself are resonated by the Americans that go visit the culture as well. Mm. Definitely. I think, and Germany has a special startup culture, which is probably a good and a bad thing too. Uh, probably like you would say about the startup culture in the US. So there's uh, pros and cons. So what, what, let's talk about those. What, what makes, what makes it great? Mm, I think in Germany, oh, I actually, it's, it's, it's a, crazy position I bring myself in here because I make a comparison between two different startup cultures. I actually know the German startup cultures and I have a lot of assumptions about the US startup culture. So at least what I've noticed from being there and talking to startups from the US, mm -hmm. the thinking the, the thinking big part is, is much more present. Uh, so um, Germans are more in terms of 
still also when we talk about failure culture. I think yeah. Germans are, are really, really, really good at doing things perfectly. They are engineers. They don't want to make mistakes. And this is some, somehow a mindset thing where it's hard for, for me as well to, to, let's say, follow the mantra of move fast and break things. Uh, we are always trying to plan also in, in terms of uncertainty. We try to figure out what will be there in the next month, uh, even though we can't do it, do so. And this is a big change uh, or difference, I, I, I would say. Sure. So more of a more of an enterprise mindset that's yes. very difficult sometimes um, as you're trying to iterate and move fast as, as startups and, need to yeah, do. It's it's obvious. I mean, the I think the combustion engine or the car was invented about 125 or 130 years ago. By, by pioneers. So we had a crazy pioneering culture here in Germany in terms of real engineers and pioneers. But since then, three or four generations were living off that pioneering spirit and they were trained to exploit that innovation and save uh, that innovation. So they were not trained in terms of uh, being crazy and tried new things. So mm -hmm. this spirit is still really deep in, in, in the mindset of, of German startup culture, but it's changing. Yeah, so um, we're getting there. So, uh, any other big changes that that you see between the two? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, in terms of venture capital, of course, uh, it's topic anybody's talking about. Uh, venture capital in Europe is is growing a lot. I think I've just seen a study that uh, since two thousand seventeen or sixteen, venture capital in in the EU grew to over one hundred billion now. Which is um, yeah, a growth of about four hundred percent since twenty seventeen. It's still one hundred billion. I mean, in the com comparison, I don't know where the US is at the moment. Uh, it's it's not enough for the the ecosystem, yeah. and um, especially I think in the early early stages. So what what I notice is that let's if we talk about seed or pre seed already, the um, investors in in let's say Germany. They want to have much more evidence before they invest. Yeah. They try to mitigate the seed risks early on. And what I hear from, yeah, startup guys from the US is that uh, checks get signed much easier because of a great vision and team. And here you have to have the traction and the proof and whatever that you didn't just are crazy sometimes early on and seed. Well, you know what starts to shift everyone's mind more towards that German mindset? Uh, a recession. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so I think you're, you're seeing some of that mindset start to shift now that we're not in the world of big valuations based on little revenue or lack of revenue in a big vision. There's a, there's a little bit more diligence, if you will. However, you still get those big deals that you, you see the $100 million valuation before a product even exists. And I think one of the things you're saying is you would never see that type of, rarely see that type of funding happen in Germany. Yeah, rarely, which I think, uh, as you said, is, is quite a good thing. And still, um, we could, it, it can be, we, we need to shift a, a little bit more venture in terms of venture capital, especially in all the deals in, in, in this pre-seed stage There we have. Normally, the business angels that invest and uh, what we are missing in Germany is a new generation of business or uh, uh, a broad new generation of business angels. We have some kind of 
uh, uh, new economy investors who probably exited their first startup. And of course, they are, have the mindset of uh, investing much more aggressively and much more vision and team-based. Um, but most of the angel money, I think, still comes from like old economy and they are diligencing uh, still with old economy mindset. And uh, sure. But it's getting better. Yeah, as, as all things do as they, well, not all things, but as many things do as they, as they begin to mature, right? So that's, I mean, that's a hundred billion is nothing to, nothing to sneeze at, you know, Forex growth in four years is nothing to sneeze at. So that's, I mean, it's good to see that type of traction happening there. You know, you, you touched on something that we've talked about before, which is this idea of, uh, do I go raise venture money? Do I go raise venture mm. capital, right? Or do I bootstrap the hell out of this thing and use a little bit different of an approach? Um, you, mm. you've done both, right? Talk to me about the, the pros and cons of, you know, when you've made a decision to bootstrap versus made the decision to, uh, raise venture money. Mm. This is a great, a great uh, topic and great question. Yeah. I mean, uh, Bootstrapping means you, you own the company and there's nobody who can decide differently as, as, as you want, or you can stick to your principles. The cons obviously is, uh, it's, it's much, much harder and not possible with every business model. I mean, bootstrapping is, is quite a good way to go if you have business models that are fast in terms of producing revenue, for example, like service oriented businesses. Of course, it's the obvious one. But and, and, and software as a service or e-commerce. But if you do like tech things where you need to prove feasibility of a technology for the first two or three or four years, you need capital. And there, sometimes you need uh, investors um, and some, sometimes for your growth, of course, you need venture capital, which can be a good thing. But the cons is that it's, it's a super harsh financial industry. And sometimes I see founders and I'm not sure that there are these VCs out there, but what I notice is in the, in the front end, they all tend to be your friend. Mm. Let's say so and have also great vision in the back end. They have their own LPs, their limited partners, and they have promises in terms of IRR and multiples they need to return and they will act like actual investors. They want to see that return from you and, um, yeah, this is something you have to be super aware of that this can get super um, stressful in terms uh, of times when things don't go as planned, which is the default mode in startup. So talk talk to me about one of those times where things didn't go as planned. I mean, actually, we just have to take a look at the year 2022, right? I mean, uh, if you take a look at e-commerce, for example, last year, e-commerce companies, all the Corona thing made a great push in terms of e-commerce adaption. Yeah. Even as customer seg segments never shop online, needed to shop online because local stores were closed. So, and then all of a sudden this year, we have the, the war in Ukraine and the things have changed radically. So. I've seen startups in e-commerce, uh, the year over year growth from, let's say, April to April went down by over 50%. And last year, uh, the situation of raising capital was super great and easy and all was shiny and e-commerce adaption was growing and anybody was happy. And this year, of course, situations have changed. Inflation is coming in. And yeah, uh, then of, all of a sudden you have the harsh fox and 
investors, also uh, some investors, just a few of them. I, I think using the situation a little bit in terms of their benefit to get much better deals. And then you see the ugly face of venture capital all of a sudden. Yeah. But you have yeah. to be prepared. You have to know if you sign the venture deal that you're also signing. Yeah. That, that you're not owning the company 100% by your own. There's other peoples who have expectations and they will definitely point out these kind of expectations if they need to. Yeah. And, and I think you, in some ways you're saying that on the really gentle conservative side, right? I would almost say it's, you know, you could use the term partnership or you could use the term marriage really, because really essentially what that is, is you're getting married to somebody, yeah. somebody else is at the table on your board in almost every case who is starting to have their own point of view that you've got to keep in mind as you're making decisions as a CEO and that essentially you are accountable to, just like they're accountable to you to be a good investor, you're accountable to them to be a good founder and grow your company. And at the end of the day, that is that is a marriage and you can get divorced, but divorces are messy. <laughs> hmm. And one time, like one time when you were going through potential you know, do I get married? Do I not? Do I stay? Do I stay single, Yannick? What What did that process look like for you going through from a just an emotional uh, perspective as the founder? Actually, I am in in kind of a situation at the moment for for this. That the emotional part is that I, yeah, for me personally, when I start the business or something new. Purpose plays a big role. I'm, I, I mean, not a crazy nice purpose statement, but I mean by purpose that the thing or what I'm building somehow resonates with my principles and I feel good doing it. I feel fulfilled. And what I notice is that, yeah, this, uh, these principles sometimes get irritated when you talk to venture capitalists because they have their clear numbers. They want, they want you to actually play that game of that number game and emotionally i think the hardest part for myself is always also when companies i support are in the process what i feel is that how much of my principles uh, can i leave behind for that deal actually because i actually never see a deal where you feel 100 comfortable and get 100 the deals in terms you actually want there's always a, a, a balance you have to find and this is emotionally super hard, the hardest part, actually. Sometimes I think it's much, much easier if the, if you, ha you know, these kind of startup founders that found a company with a clear exit scenario in mind. So they say, okay, I found this. It's a super trend actually growing at the moment. And either I go out with a second secondary in three to four years, I do an exit in seven years, or I do an IPO in 10 years, or I totally uh, break it. And these are my scenarios, but. Purpose, not so important. I want to be successful. Sometimes I, I, I think this is a much healthier uh, way of playing that game. Yeah, well said. And fast forward to today, where you are doing a lot of things around climate change, which I'll let you talk about. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna speak for you, but some really exciting things: climate change, clean tech, things that are incredibly important to make sure that our world doesn't have a terrible trajectory, if you will, towards 
unsustainability. And you're doing some exciting things there on both the funding and the founding side. Do you mind just kind of talking about how you first how you got there to, you know, being <laughs> focused on climate tech and then, you know, what you guys are up to today? Yeah, of course. Okay. So maybe also I start again at the age of 16. Um, <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm raised in a family with uh, parents that are super, let's say, su super ecological green. They are outdoor adventurous people are actually still climbing at the age of 65. And uh, wow. I've always had that yeah, great connection to nature and importance of yeah, good working ecosystem. Um, at the same time, um, I somehow was the, the rebel in the, in the family because I was dreaming of uh, owning a Porsche and capitalistic and wanting to be an entrepreneur. And so what I want to say by that, I have two like things, uh, two different hearts in myself. So at the one side, I totally see how important nature is for us. And the other side is I love to build businesses. Uh, working businesses. And at the moment, still at the moment, revenue is one of the most important KPIs to show if a business, business works. So throughout the last years, I was building different startups uh, or was part of different startups. And um, always impact was important for me, but it, this was not impact versus what was always business first. In 2020, I left my last company and had some kind of a sabbatical because I already felt that with the age of 31, 32, something changed in terms of my perspectives. And um, the key the key moment was then in 2021 when uh, my first child, my, my daughter, was born. And I was holding her in my arms and I was thinking about my responsibilities as a father. And um, all of a sudden, I felt it strongly that I'm, what, what can I do to make Lynn's life my, um, great? And I felt the responsibility that as an entrepreneur, as uh, being capable, capable of building businesses, of having resources to support businesses, I need to focus on, on climate because this is the biggest, biggest risk of my daughter, Lynn, not having a great life at the age of 60, 70 or 80. And it, it became so obvious to me before it was, of course, an important topic in my life. But at that point, it became obvious that I have to focus 110% of my time resources uh, on it. And then uh, the idea of Partners and Climb was born, which is the project I'm working on full-time now. And Partners and Climb actually is a yeah, venture studio slash company builder slash accelerator slash we are still finding out what exactly we are. But uh, <laughs> the mission is clear. Our mission is to to enable 10,000 jobs in green tech that all uh, help to stay below the 1.5 degrees goal. The mission came from the simple idea that as more bright minds and smart minds will work in green tech, it's better for us all. And uh, how, how do we do it? We do it by what we can do best, by building, funding, and founding startups. We've noticed that, especially in green tech, you see a lot of early tech teams mostly in university, you'll find them working on quite interesting technologies that could help us yeah, save emissions, that could help us to save biodiversity, save water, whatever. And these teams are sometimes really, really nerdy. Uh, they also often didn't have like the touch points to startups or whatever. 
And this is where we come in. So we'll try to find these teams, um, try to evaluate if the technology is actually creating impact and then supporting the teams uh, with our perspective on business, like building the business and then funding them and helping them to get into seed stage where there's much more capital um, to grow the company then. Got it. And when you're talking to them about capital or they're coming to you with capital, going back to that, you know, bootstrapping versus venture conversation, what's it like on the other side of the table? Hard. Uh, actually, last week, I, so a good friend of mine and also entrepreneur in green tech, Jens, he's a big fan of the new, new, new setting. I'm, I'm not sure if you know it in the US. Uh, it's called steward ownership, where it's like actually the thing that the Patagonia founder just did, giving away the company or setting principles and rules that the company owns itself and nobody else can, can own the company, which is a crazy decision in, in, in our world. Because yeah. it's not fun. It actually, not you can't exit the company, and it's hard to fund it. These you are give away some... all the non-voting shares of the company, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which is what and was like twenty? Was it twenty two hundred million a year or something like that? Something along yeah. those lines. That's on. Yeah. yeah. It's unreal. It's, it's unreal, but it's a great role model, and we need Absolutely. these kind of really crazy role models in comparison to yeah. to all that unicorn bullshit out there. It's all about valuations and founders and shareholder value. Being on the other side of the table, we are discussing this a lot. So we are discussing a lot. What are what could be fair terms? But what can be fair terms that also help us to grow our business and uh, support more startups? So actually, at the moment, this is a day in and day out discussion topic at Partners at Climb. Yeah, and what about some of the deals that you guys have already completed? You know. What are those conversations like on the other side of the table as you're partnering with founders? And I imagine you're probably on their board as well, right? Yes, actually, at the moment, so we started in April or May this year. So we have three teams um, that we support. Uh, one is super early, not even founded yet, which is more like, like a company building style of a, of a startup. And uh, two are more in the now seed stage. I don't have enough data yet to, to give you a clear answer on it, on this, because I also think that we, from the beginning on, go in these kind of discussions with super fair terms. Yeah. For example, so one big part of our offer is that we go in the teams as in a, in a, in a role that we call the co-printer. We're not just giving them like advice or curriculum or like content. So we actually support them um, with a big part of our time in building the businesses. This also means that uh, we go into sales uh, processes, uh, understand them by ourselves and help them to uh, realign sales uh, pipelines and all that stuff. And uh, one of the things we always do is to have like, an, because we were talking about marriages, we have some kind of an engagement phase. So we work together with the teams for two or three months and decide then how it felt for us. So which I think is definitely a fair point because uh, when the team after two or three months notices, hey, it's nice, it's somehow valuable, but not that valuable, we can still say, okay, then we don't we don't uh, have a deal here. This is one of the things, and I think this should be done much more often to get in, in into an engagement together and see how people, how expectations are actually working out in tough situations. And uh, jumping back to the VC world, of course, VCs have 
uh, the job to find the best teams and talents. And this is what I meant by front end. Then they use a crazy front end in terms of, yeah, what kind of great uh, things they do to acquire these teams. Then after signing the deal, things often change and there's um, too limited space for talking about expectations between investors and startups. It's, it's such a streamlined process uh, with due diligence. And un unfortunately, mostly startup founders are in a, they bring themselves in the role of uh, not being on an eye level with investors. And I would wish for more space discussion, getting to know each other, which is probably the biggest chance of fair, fair deals and expectations. Got it. Got it. And when you when you're having these, I'll call them co-founders of service working relationships, um, what what established you guys in that in that zone where you you felt like the folks that you were working with, like that was the that was the answer that that's what they needed was a co-founder as a service. So our target is super early. So we are actually talking to teams that are um, not even founded yet, that they are somehow working together in groups at universities, at special technologies. And we've seen that there are a lot of, let's say, accelerator programs out there, mm -hmm. which are more program-based. Uh, this is the one part of the accelerator programs. You get cash, you get a program. So let's say each Friday, we'll tell you something about how to fundraise, how to build a team and uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and the third part is that they get some kind of one-on-one -on -one mentoring. We talked to a lot of teams who are running through these accelerators and noticed that this is somehow like commodity because if you talk about the content parts, uh, I would rather send you this, the link to the startup school of Y Combinator and say that <laughs> there's right. no better content about building startups out there in the world. And when it comes to mentoring, you'll often have uh, accelerators with, let's say, a mentor pool of hundreds of mentors that take um, sometimes an hour, sometimes two, but they are not really diving into it. And also being a serial entrepreneur doesn't mean that you are a good startup mentor or startup coach. This is where we feel the teams really need support. They need support in terms of uh, people that actually sit at, at the table with them, understanding the issues understanding their issues or, or challenges in terms of also mental challenges, because being a startup founder can some, sometimes be surprisingly emotional. And on the other hand, yeah, we also have them to focus on the right things at the right time. And we are actually doing it with them, not just giving advice. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's hard to explain because it's more of a soft feature, but as we are working with the teams, we already noticed that they are super thankful for it and how we do it. Well, you know, and at that stage, advice only gets you so far. And oftentimes you've got competing advice. And oftentimes at least one side of that competing advice is bad advice. Yeah. So so stick to the basics. You mentioned a couple of things that are great resources for entrepreneurs, right? Why Combinator's content is some of the best on the planet in terms of, you know, the how-to right on how to build which is why they've one of the reasons they've been as successful as they have been in san francisco and ultimately what companies need is oftentimes more than just a coach sometimes a coach is exactly what they need or a mentor if it's the right coach and mentor sometimes they need a little bit more love and that's what you guys are providing which is incredible so yeah. so um 
you know, some, some, what are some of the cool things that you guys are doing in, in, in climate tech? You know, like what can, what can you talk about? I know there's some things that probably are a little bit behind the, behind the scenes right now, but what are some, what are some of the ways that you guys are changing the world? Mm, okay. So actually I'll give you one example, which I actually like, and I think a lot of people directly understand. So a company we support is called Sam Dimension. They actually are doing weed mapping, meaning they are having developed a camera system and uh, software um, flying with drones over uh, big, uh, uh, um, uh, yeah, how do you say, fields. And then they can actually locate the, the crops and wheat and then put a map into, I don't know, how do you say, uh, in Germany it's Felschbütte, uh, where they put out the herbicides on and then they can save up to 80% of herbicides. So it's super crazy tech to, to really cool tech guys. And I love these kind of, of startups most where you actually have tech guys really falling in love with what they do and actually solving a real problem with real impact. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is what fascinates me when people, when super smart people are thinking about technological uh, solutions to solve problems. So a reduction of 80% in terms of the pesticides that are affecting crops. Yes. Yep. Wow. That's, inc- yeah, that's, that's very cool. So, and, and so many companies, I mean, this is a, this is a common theme, right? Of like talking about how the Monsantos of the world, right. Are, are ruining that crop <laughs> and ruining farming and so many things that have been part of ingrained in, in who we are as humans for so long. Any other examples of some of the ways that you guys are kind of changing the the landscape there? That's very cool. Yeah, another example. Um, yeah, maybe it's a special German thing, but we are actually talking to a startup. I hope that we can uh, sign sign. They are developing a technology with uh, which they they use actually also drone data to build three D models, automated three D models of buildings, and adding up other data from other databases, um, they can generate building by building for each building in Germany, uh, let's say a report on energy efficiency automated. So these reports then help other companies or these decision makers to decide where you should uh, renovate or where, where's the biggest potential to save energy in the building segment. And it's crazy because status quo in Germany is that you have the so-called uh, Energieberater, which probably is translated to energy consultants. And they normally drive to each building, uh, take a look at the building and make their notes and then type in, in a word file, some kind of a report, send it to you. And then you have the same information, maybe not as precise uh, with the automated approach, but much more scalable. And definitely a bottleneck in Germany is uh, the energy consultants. We are far too less here. And we, we need much more data or to make better decisions on where we have the biggest impact to use uh, to, to, to save emissions. For example, the most limited resource at the moment is uh, constructions and construction workers or also materials in Germany. And by such a solution, you can shift these limited resources where the impact is the biggest. And hmm. um, yeah, another example. So it's always bit. about... So we're always uh, like uh, taking a look, look at where data and uh, the right use of data, for example, this is one approach, 
can open up bottlenecks for better decisions or for savings or for, well, it's not the deep, deep, deep tech. So we are not trying to compete with yeah science. Um, so we are taking a look where technology is already in a maturity level that it is uh, able to be scaled. And that idea of reduced emissions, or I shouldn't say idea, that KPI of uh, reduced emissions and the reporting around there. I mean, that is, that is critical. I, you know, one might even say that's going to become like one of the biggest KPIs of where businesses are heading in the future, right? What's happening over there as it relates to the, the way that businesses are thinking about things like reduced emissions as, as something and sustainability KPIs and things like that, that are definitely need to be on every company's radar if they're not already. I mean, of course, yes, emissions is the, the probably the biggest KPI at the moment. I would love to add not the only one because all the VCs at the moment are totally focused on emissions and I get this, but I think there are still other things like uh, we have a crazy drought in, in Europe at the moment, like uh, like water reserves, also important. Biodiversity is also important. But yeah. uh, talk, talking about emissions... It's, it's, it's such an elaborated thing. You can clearly say in which sectors the most emissions are created. And I think having such good data and such a good data base to make decisions and to focus on where we should invest, to put uh, innovation focus on is a great thing. At the same time, emissions still is a really hard thing to actually measure, I think. And many companies use it in terms of I would say pseudo emission savings or let's call it greenwashing. So actually I'm super happy that in, in Europe we have a, have a new regulation that's called EU taxonomy, which aims to provide uh, businesses and, and investors with like a common language and catalog to identify yeah, to what degree actual, actual investments and activities uh, can be considered uh, environmentally sustainable. So in this catalog, it says, uh, if you reduce, let's say one ton of steel out of your production cycle, this means this and that in terms of emission safe. And this standard definitely will help to produce a transparency also for like the private investors to put more money safely in, in, in the right direction. And this is a huge thing from my point of view. And I hope much more regulatory changes like this will open up, yeah, clearer streams of money flowing into invention that's put it, uh, that's put in the right direction or in the right sector. Have you read all 550 pages of it? No, not a single <laughs> of it. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> I my my way to go is to okay, there's a new regulatory. So who's the smartest guy in my network <laughs> who read 550 pages? And then I'll have a Zoom call. That's, yeah, that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant way to go. That, you know, that, that EU taxonomy providing clarity on sustainable economic activities and supporting the investment flows, as you mentioned, into those activities. That's huge. I mean, that's, that's no small thing, right? And it's all connected to, I think, some sort of climate neutrality target. What is that correct? Yeah, it is correct. Yeah. Actually, it defines, I think it's six objectives in, in, in terms of climate change mitigation and it's uh, focused or it's addressing businesses. 
and helping them to decide uh, in these six sectors well, what's the best investment to actually reach goals. But it also has a 2050 climate neutrality target as part of that, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, well, only a few years but, away. Let's get there. <laughs> I, I mean, tw- 20, 2050, I, I, to be honest, it's it's too far away from my point of view. Um, so yeah. The, 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 the news reports or, or they all, all state that we, we until 2030, um, I think it's, it's 15 or it's between 15 and 19 gigatons of CO2 equivalents that we need to save to have a realistic chance to stay on the 1.5 degree track. So it's 2030. So eight years from now. So 2050 for me, it's, uh, way too late. And this is what uh, a lot of people also criticize that yes, there are. Good things happening at the moment, but much, much far too, uh, far too far away. Well, luckily, partners in climb is around to help accelerate that target. Yeah, sure. There you go. <laughs> All right. So this has been terrific, Yannick. Uh, as part of kind of closing out each of these ep- episodes, we uh, try to do five really quick hit questions. Or call it the founder five, if you will, around five questions that uh, really kind of signify your growth as a founder. And the first question is something we've talked a little bit about already, but what is the top metric or KPI that you're relentlessly focused on? Yeah, no, you would expect me to, uh, to, to point out some kind of impact KPI, but I, I don't do uh, because I still think that the most important KPI for what we are doing is, uh, is, is super conservative. It's like monthly revenue growth, for example, because it, it you, you need to make sure that your business is vital. Yeah. Also, yeah. if you want to, if you if you have a great impact, I mean, Patagonia, we talked about them. I think one hundred million or two hundred million of profits now gets pushed into, yeah, investments in terms of sustainability. But you have to get there in terms of. Getting there, you have to have a vital business. So I still think this is something we shouldn't forget also in the impact space. All right. Love it. Top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. Yeah, I think the first and foremost is to create a crystal clear strategy that is easy to understand and follow. I see too many teams that aren't, don't have clear strategy and also not a strategy that they can lead their teams with. So it's too complex and uh, maybe in the minds of the founders, it sounds logical, but this is something where you can easily, if you reflect on it, uh, create value. And after your second, after your strategy is set, you should, people should focus more on, on in terms of hiring and finding uh, the best people to execute that strategy. And also I see, I don't know if it's a, it's a German thing, but so when we talk to startups, they have a clear strategy and they are focused on hiring and then they get great talent. I always find myself in, in, in situations where they ask me, but the salary is too high. Can I pay the salary? And I always love to say, don't, don't look too much on salaries. If it's the right strategy, the right person, it will pay off. All right. Right strategy, right person. Love it. Favorite book or podcast that's helped you grow? Maybe a controversial, a controversial answer. I would rather love to say, forget the books. And of course, podcasts are great, but uh, f- forget the books, forget the theory and get a coach. 
was the biggest impact uh, on myself. There, there, there are so many great business frameworks out there that are also easy to grasp and easy to understand in theory. But why? Let's say the Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Yeah? Uh, it's so easy to understand, talk to your customers and do customer-centric development. But still, in the, in the year 2020, I would say more than 50% of startups fail because they develop some kind of product nobody wants. So why is it so hard to actually put that theory into practice? I think because founding a company has a lot much or much more to do with emotions and you need to re reflect on that. And uh, for me, my coach helped me a lot to do so. Get a coach. I doubled down on that. I got one a couple of years ago. Shout out Mike Smith. And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. So that's a great one, Yannick. All right. What actor would play you in a movie? That's, that's a tough one, uh, since I'm super bad with names of actors. <laughs> but I, I would say maybe it's a little bit cheesy, but let's, let's, let's go with Tom, Tom Hanks because sometimes, or I like Forrest Gump, of course. Yeah. It's also a little bit cheesy, but uh, sometimes I feel like Forrest Gump was done so many things in his life, like jumping from, from life experience to life experience. And I, I really loved it. Nice. Love it. Love it. All right. Last one. What is going to be the title of your autobiography <laughs> when you've done all you've wanted to? Mm -hmm. So one of the words that keeps resonating with my journey so far is serendipity. And yeah, that the, situations where where you can somehow by your intuition sense that there's something great happening and but still you have to 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 grab that opportunity which is crazy sometimes how things assemble and the idea of serendipity engineering i, I love it a lot so a great tip could be something like a causing serendipity nice all right. You've given so much to our listeners today, Yannick. So I always like to offer a little bit of self-promotion here at the end. How can those listening help you out? Yeah, I would love to get in touch much more with the uh, U.S. green tech scene. So um, also, if there are startups out there from the U.S. who are interested in uh, jumping into the European markets, who are interested in learning more about uh, European or especially German market, uh, just yeah, reach out. Always uh, trying to yeah, build up my network in green tech. And I think you're also considering a fundraise of your own. Is that for the studio? Yes, actually, for the studio, we are also in the fundraising mode. So if there are um, some investors out there who resonate with, with uh, my point of view, talking about venture capitalists, and still they are not uh, feeling too bad with what I've said. So feel free to, to contact. Awesome. And what's, what's the best way to, for people to get in touch with you? Mm, I would say LinkedIn or email. So, all right. We'll have both of those in the, in the show links. So thanks again, Yannick. This has been a pleasure and uh, go get them. Let's change the world. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, Jim. You bet. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to the dirt.